you go up 19-0 against any team and then to lose it, I don't think we scored in the second half. We lost to 21-19. You're thinking, Jesus Christ, are we ever, ever going to beat this mob? House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed. Hello and welcome to House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. We've got a really good show coming up for you all. In just a moment, myself and Ronan Amani will be joined from Australia by Rob Carney for a chat about how he's getting on down under. In part two, we'll hear from Sam Warburton, discuss Ireland's Six Nations win over Italy and a little bit about the upcoming semi-finals for Leinster and Ulster. But first, Ronan, we'll start off and uh, keep the Munster uh, fans happy. What, uh, what did you make of that 27-3 win for, for Munster in the RDS yesterday? Yeah, pretty pleasing from a Munster point of view, I think. Um, you know, look, we're under no illusion that we had a fully stacked side and Leinster probably uh, playing their second string team trying to get game time into the likes of James Ryan and uh, Gary Ringrose going into the semi-finals next, this weekend. So look, um, a pleasing win, I suppose it's going to heal any kind of psychological scars that would have been there over the last couple of months and years that, you know, there was a lot of talk in the media about Leinster winning ten, the last consecutive 10 games against Munster, so... You know, it's, it's good for him to get one over and, uh, you know, a good couple of young lads on the bench who got a bit of game time and got the experience beating Leinster. So it'll be good for them and uh, good for them to start their careers to experience that as well. Yeah, I'd say there was, there was, I'd say there was a feeling in the Munster changing room afterwards. Probably I'd imagine that, you know, they wish they could have done that when they met them in the final. I did think they played an awful lot better. I, 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 I realised that they're... There was a lot of rotation going on in that Leinster side, but um, they just—it was just a lot more. It was a more complete performance by Munster than than that final, definitely. It was, and I suppose with with the way the Rainbow Cup is going, and it's turned into a small bit of a shambles that we don't know whether a comer are going or how many games are going to be in it. That mm. look, Munster have the luxury of of going full strength in these competitions because they have nothing else. Obviously, Leinster went second string because they've got Larishell to look. La Rochelle, like around the corner, so um, it was a good opportunity for them to play with no real, uh, with no real pressure and and to express themselves. And I, I know they talked a lot during the week about retaining possession and holding on to possession because they found it so hard to get the ball off Leinster uh, last month in the final. So they did it a little bit better. They kept the ball in hand a little bit more, and I think Joey settled in a little bit better into ten as well. He, he seems a lot more comfortable in himself, and the more he gets, the more game time he gets. Um, I think the better team will start moving as well. Yeah, definitely. And Munster probably left a couple of opportunities out there as well. There were, you know, there was a number of times they were in the Leinster twenty-two, and they turned the ball over. You know, even at the end, they had that rolling ball that went down. Yeah, like they probably did leave um, a couple of scores out there as well, even though it was a big enough um, win. Yeah, they left a couple of scores out there. But look, I suppose from a, from a Leinster point of view, it's going to be a, a big learning curve for, for the younger lads. Like, mm. They're probably down to their fifth choice out half. You know, did a couple of changes there before the game started and. You know, it's going to be very good for those younger players in Leinster to experience that type of environment and get them up to scratch to what's needed to play in these high-level Interpro games. But um, look, pleasing from a Munster point of view, again, those, those scars that would have been there of, of, of games gone by, a bit of healing done and uh, a win. But in a sense, with the Rainbow Cup, you, you would like to see maybe if they started the bench and put some of the more experienced players on the bench and give them 20 minutes, which I would like to see in Craig Casey got a full 60 minutes, 70 minutes against uh, Leinster side and the same with Dimmer Barron on the bench and a couple of these younger lads, you know, you, you mm. need to really let them experience what it's like, to, the intensity of these Interpro games. Yeah, but I'd say from Van, Van Graham and 
you know, Stephen Larkham's, you know, position, I'd say they're just thinking we need to we need to break the cycle of That's Leinster it, yeah. of Leinster winning, you know, you know, kicking on the next year. And and they have done that, but um the the bigger difference actually I saw as well, just from the performance and you know, I realised it wasn't the same intensity as, as that final, but I, I did think that Munster caused a lot more issues at the breakdown. You know, you saw Tig, um, Damien Delande got a couple of really good turnovers on the ground. Um, they seemed to pick their times better and that they, they, they got a bit of inroads there. Yeah, they did Tig Byrne at it again. He's an absolute freak. And how many times we've chatted about him being, he's just sensational on the ground. And he's one of these players like uh, Porter for Leinster. When, when they get over the ball, they're literally impossible to move. Um, so, yeah, Munster are definitely more accurate around that. They held onto the ball a lot better. They, they, they just, they, they seem like they weren't playing with major constraints. You know, in the final last month, they, they, they seem like a team that are under pressure from from the get go. Mm. Well, I think, um, you know, they're a bit more relaxed looking. They obviously, as we talked about the Rainbow Cup, there probably wasn't as much pressure on them to to perform. But, um, and they had a full strength team against what would be a second string Leinster team. So, um. You know, they're probably looking and going, this is one we should take advantage of, and they did, and they, I, they won convincingly, really. Definitely, and um, speaking of holding on to the ball, I saw uh, CJ Stander kept the match ball after the game. Well, obviously, you know, for him, he's been on the receiving end of a number of, of losses against Leinster, so definitely a nice one for him before he flies back home to have gotten one, one up over the old rivals. It is, and as... as you talk about we're rather about trying to beat New Zealand many times and then eventually getting there yeah. and doing it. I suppose it's on a smaller scale, similar with Munster Leinster. You know, CJ has been on the back of eight or nine losses now against Leinster, and then you get a win no matter what way it comes or what tournament it comes in. They all count and they're all special. These, you know, you, you know yourself from playing against Munster, and I'd know on the other side as well. It's just always something at stake. It's never, a, it's never a dead rubber as such. So mm. there's always a, a good, intense rivalry there. Yeah. Definitely, there was a there was a good win for Connacht over Ulster as well. Um, they scored a try at the death up in Belfast, and it, it made for good viewing that game. Um, in fairness to both of those sides, it, 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 they did both played some great rugby during that match. Yeah, I love watching Connacht play; they're, just, they're taking me so exciting. And we chatted about earlier that under day they can they can uh, perform and, and beat any team, but. Uh, I think Nigel Carlin's done an unbelievable job with their attack. You know, they're, regarding the entertainment value, they always they always produce it. They're always exciting to watch, and they're able to run the ball from anywhere, and they're able to score tries from anywhere. And um, it was interesting as well to see him use their, the, the new law variations that are coming in the captain's challenge, and um, you know, get a penalty and eventually get down the pitch and, and be able to, to win the game. Mm. Um, it just shows that a couple of these new law variations coming in are are um, are going to work. And you know, we haven't seen. Anyone get a red card yet, um, John? Especially with all the high tackles, um, you were you were the, the king of the high tackle back in the day. For <laughs> Jesus, don't be bringing that stuff up on the show now. Come on. Sorry. Um, uh, no, I just remember you're 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 hitting Damien Hyland yeah, when yeah, he yeah. played Edinburgh, but he, <laughs> he bounced great. off the ground like you hit him. Yeah, he did. To be fair, one, he... probably one of the best shots. I remember Felix Jones showing to me. He's like, "We need more as a back three. We need more aggressiveness like this in our defence." I remember him showing to me. And your man Close just bounced off the ground. I was like, "How the yeah. hell is he after getting up after that?" I know. Yeah, I came out worse, unfortunately, from that. Yeah. But for Ulster heading into next Friday, this semi-final, you know, not ideal for them to lose the game. But you could say the same about Leinster, you know, losing to. Munster, but I'm sure this that'll just be a clean slate for for both teams, and obviously the focus 
for both of the sides was, was on the semi this week. Yeah, 100%. The, from a, yeah, as we said, a Leinster point of view, obviously they want to get a win, but look, they're, they're trying to get game time into James Ryan, into, into uh, I know Caelan Darris pulled out just before the game. And Gary Ringrose. Into Gary Ringrose, who yeah. was captain of the side. You know, you, you know, they never want to lose to Munster, but to get game time into these lads, mm. going into Larish, like Larishelle are going to be, um, it's just going to be an unbelievable ask, you know, and to have Gary and to have James Ryan getting game time under their belt going into a starting team next week is uh, Joe's key for Leinster, so they'll be happy to get the boys through the game. For sure. Good stuff. Right, let's get Rob Carney on. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed. Rob, how are you? Great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Not at all. Thanks for having me on, lads. How's, how's all with you? Are you currently um, quarantining for three days in, in a hotel room, I believe? Yeah, it's all a bit mental. So there was there was one single case in Perth last week. Um, so they shut the whole of Perth down for three days. So we, had, we have a semi-final in Canberra against the Brumbies this weekend. So we had to fly out on Sunday um, yeah. because we wouldn't have been allowed to train in Perth. There's no exemptions for professional sports teams like there is back home. So we got out of there. But we still have to quarantine in a hotel here for three days, which is going to be some crack. Jesus, that, um, that'll be tough. But at least you mentioned you're able to get out and train, is it? You can do a bit of exercise every day? Yeah, so I think we're, we're allowed out for training for maybe three hours in the morning time. Um, because we wouldn't have been allowed out in Perth. We, everyone's like locked down. You can't leave the house at all. So I think that's the reason why we came here a little bit early. Very good. Um, you know what? We actually, so last week we had Mike Ross on the show and we were going over a couple of stories with him. And that uh, incident popped up where you and me bought those sweets in the joke shop. And uh, Joe... Do you know what? I was, I was only... <laughs> I was only watching it back this morning. Joe tagged me in it. That was the funniest thing ever. But I didn't actually realize that that was the last time you played for Ireland. No, it it wasn't. That was just a bit of salt and pepper to make the story a bit better. Yeah, but you, you remember Joe did say, he was like, yeah, funny, isn't it, Fig? It's the last time you'll fucking play for Ireland. Yeah, yeah, that was what he said. I know, yeah. He wasn't really that far wrong. Uh, in terms of starts, I don't think there was that many more, but... I think it was it was still worth it in my eyes. Yeah, it was. It's not often you get one up on him. No, the um, you're a big United fan, though, Rob. As people might know from your social media, what did you make of the whole Super League fiasco? Um, John, I, have, I haven't been following it too much. Uh, I thought, like, Monday Night Football now has just turned into the best bit of TV there is out there at the moment. Um, and it, it's funny when you see the likes of Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher, the power that they have over English football at the moment. Yeah. I think w- without those two going as strongly as they did, the Super League could still potentially be going ahead at the moment. I know, it's scary, isn't it, how much power those guys hold at the moment? Like... Um, mm-hmm. But I think that whole situation, it, it was great to see because it sums up the power of the fans as well. You know, you saw the, the groups that were, um, you know, all protesting outside Old Trafford, you know, saying that they wanted to get, get rid of the shareholders and all that type of stuff. And, and really, 
like if you take that away from you know even the rugby side, um, you take the fa fans away, you know, what, it's, it turns into a pretty soulless game for everyone. And I realise that the footballers are making a lot of money, but um, it was just great to see how much weight their opinions held. Yeah, it does, and it it shows. I suppose you know you've got these wealthy owners who come in, and they're treating it solely as a business. They just want to make money, um, and that's probably the problem that football has gotten into over the last few years. That you've got guys who are taking over the country who aren't necessarily supporters of the game. They don't really care too much about the future of the game. The only thing that they care about is is the revenue at the end of the year. Um, and I think football's taken a big step to, towards going back, giving the, the fans, you know, the ownership of the game. Because at the end of the day, they're the real, they're the true stakeholders of any football club. Hmm. Who would have thought we would have been get, dialing you in from Australia to talk about the Premier League and soccer? That would have been an outside bet. Definitely not me. <laughs> but uh, dialing me in to talk anything about soccer, <laughs> I didn't think you would. I know. Tell us, um, how are you enjoying it over there? Anyway. I'm interested here because I saw you. You have done one or two things. You were talking to off the ball and and one or two others. But um, just for our listeners, you know, how have you enjoyed the change? Um, you know, obviously you're later on in your your career, but it seems like you've taken to it like a duck to water. And how's it been for you? Yeah, it's it's been incredible. It's been such a breath of fresh air for me. Um, you know, I think we'd obviously spoken back at the time the two of us were finishing it up and. You know, I, I didn't really want to finish up. I felt as if I could still have gone on for another season. Um, there was still a bit of, of fire burning there to go and try and do something new. And it, it the opportunity only came around really late. Um, I guess I'd sort of resigned to the fact a little bit that I was going to be retiring alongside you in September time. Um, you know, and then the opportunity came up and it was too good to turn down. And, and looking back on it now... I've just been so blessed with the timing of it. You know, if, if I had to choose six months to leave Ireland over the last 100 years, this would have been the six months to leave. Um, so I just feel really lucky that, that everything fell into place and timing worked out as well as it did. Rob, after uh, experience in life outside of Leinster, would, uh, if you had your time over, would you have done this a bit sooner? Um... You know, I, I've loved it and I do love it. And it's it's so nice to get to a new country, a new environment, get into a new team. Um, the climate is obviously pretty incredible too. But I, I was always a big believer that, you know, not to rub it into a monster man now, but there's no, there's no substitute for medals. Hold on, we might win the rainbow cup yet. Well, you got off to some start last night, that's yeah. for sure. Um, but no, listen, I've, I've been so lucky to, even in the latter parts of my year, 2018, 19, you know, win some medals. Um, and I think at the at the end of the day, well, certainly for me, medals were the only thing that mattered. And had, had I been a part maybe of a team in a Leinster era that wasn't going as well and wasn't as successful, well, then maybe I might have looked to move away sooner. Um, but certainly I don't have any regrets about not not doing this uh, sooner on in my career. Yeah, I must say, going back on that, what you mentioned there about the conversation we had had, because I remember when you said it to me in the gym, you were like, listen, you didn't know what you were going to do, whether you were going to finish or you were going to try kick on. And I could always sense that you did 
want to continue playing. And then when you said to me one day, I think we were paired up in a gym session, that the Western Force had been on and there was going to be an offer there. I remember just going, what is going on? Because in my head, I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom that, you know, because I was fully ready to, to kind of go. And really, like, it has worked out unbelievably well for you. You go over to a country, you know, granted you have the 14-day quarantine, but COVID-free, you know, lovely, beautiful climate. climate. Um, it looks like a great bunch of lads, and, and you know, now you're in a, in a semi there, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, it is. And, and listen, I was exactly like you were in September. I'd fully come around to the fact that I was going to be finishing up. Um, and, you know, I, I left Leinster in September, so I was effectively on my own for October, November, December. And it was getting cold in the mornings and I was out training on my own and in the gym on my own. And I was thinking, Jesus Christ, what have you gotten yourself into? You're going over here. You're not training with a team for four months. And then you're going to play super rugby. You know, are you mad in the head? Um, but thankfully, you know, it, it, it worked out pretty well for me. Yeah, defo. Like, can, just before we go into a bit more of um, the Western Forces kind of position at the moment and, and how things have gone so far, will you kind of tell the listeners briefly on just our finish in Leinster? Obviously, so we... We went right up through school together. You know, you broke into Leinster before me. We were lucky enough to stay there for the whole time. But our finish in in the, you know, obviously we're both, I can speak for both, was are very grateful. The fact that we got to lift the trophy, signing on for that last three months, that was cool. But the finish for us was, it was bizarre, is the only way to describe it. You know, but between um, Christy Moore coming in for that, uh, you know, that, uh, gig that he did for us in UCD and then afterwards um, just the, the finish after we got knocked out by Saris can you just like, tell the listeners kind of what exactly it was like for you that, that kind of strange way that, that it finished up yeah like it, it, it was bizarre it was so weird I think you know as, as players you always you know you sometimes think about how you're going to go out on the terms you're going to go out on and, you know, you fantasize a little bit over the fairy tale ending. You know, not everyone can have the, the sign off that, that O'Driscoll did. But, you know, you think some, sometimes you might get something in between where you play your last game for Leinster and you're subbed off and, and you get to thank the fans and they get to thank you and, and whatnot. And you think you might be playing in the game. So, you know, for us going on to a field in our tracksuits in an empty stadium, you know, lifting the trophy obviously was unbelievable and we were both privileged to do it. Um, but you're also a little bit uncomfortable in your tracksuit with 23 guys who have just played a game. Mm. They've won the trophy and then you're getting asked to lift it. Um, so, you know, that felt a little bit strange too. I, I wouldn't say I felt like a fraud, but did make me feel very uncomfortable that they'd put this massive effort in for 80 minutes but we're the two lads who swan onto the field in our trackies and lift the trophy. Definitely. And even the, you know, go in and we talk to the lads and said our thank yous to the players and staff. And we walked out of the building and there was no, you know, you know, go for dinner with a couple of the team or a get together, you know, like a normal end of the season when people finish. Like that was very, that was probably the strangest thing for me, just getting into my car and leaving. And that was mm. just it. Like this just... This just shut off, you know. Yeah, and like you know, because we were because we were in lockdown and, and we couldn't really do anything. 
you know, I'd say there's there's 90% of the squad that I haven't seen since the changing room after the Saracens game. And, you know, that that's pretty tough to take because, you know, worst case scenario, you think you might all be able to go to the pub and have a massive piss up and have a few pints and reminisce about the old days. Um, but there wasn't even any of that. And at the time you say, oh, no, we'll make sure we, we get a get together in the Christmas party. And but time goes on and people move on. And, you know, there's, there'll be a lot of those boys that we won't see for, you know, a long time again. Mm. And, and that, 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 that does hurt. It makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, but that's just part of, part of the times that we're living in, I guess, isn't it? You just got to roll, roll with it and, and, and take, take, take it as it comes. Yeah, and watching over the years, like no matter how decorated you are as a player, there's very few players who get a fairy tale Indian, as you said. Brian O'Driscoll got a, a bit of a parade or right inside the Aviva Stadium, but there's very few players who go out on their own terms. As in, you know, you talk about COVID and you look at someone like Paul O'Connell, and you know he he went out with an injury and signed for Toulon and couldn't end up going through with it. And there is very few players who who get that fairy tale Indian um, from their home club. So. Um, yeah, it's it's it is hard to get out of the game with with that. Hundred percent. You were probably yeah, but I think in 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 that sort of situation, you know, you have to, and and definitely what I did, I was just so grateful of the previous fifteen years and all the game that had given me, as opposed to how it ended in the last month. So you have to be a little bit phys- philosophical about it and mm-hmm. say, okay, the ending was shit. But you know some of the some of the days that I've had out in the previous fifteen years were were unbelievable. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. I think you know, one game or one small period of a long career doesn't define anything. It's the it's the period before that. Um, so I can I can vouch for you on that one there. Um, are you still watching? Would you watch any of the do you, like are any of the games aired over there? Like Irish games? Did you watch any of the Champions Cup games? Even whether it was. Um, you know, Leinster, Munster, or any of that? Yeah, I still watch all of them. Um, you know, I, I still feel pretty heavily invested in, in watching all the games. And I think the, the fact that Dave is playing in all of them, that, you know, there's there's the extra onus on me there that, that I want to watch those. But uh, the game last night, say, was on at three o'clock in the morning, so I didn't watch it. But I, I got up early this morning and, and watched it straight back. So... It, I've I've watched all the games after them. Still, still watch a fair bit of of the other Champion Cup games. Um, you know, I I've, would find it hard just to completely switch off and, and not watch any of the the games again. So it's nice to to still be able to to, to watch them, um, even though I'm from afar. Yeah, definitely. Dave is flying in fairness, and um, you know, hopefully he will be playing in these these latter games of, of the Champions Cup as well. Just, I'm going to touch on, on your book, Rob, um, here briefly. So in your book, you know, you did mention that you kind of, there was a sense that you were never kind of truly settling, even though, you know, you, you, we just mentioned earlier on, you won so many trophies. You know, it's, it's, it's widely known amongst the rugby community that you are the most decorated player in Irish rugby history. You, you do rub... Johnny and and Dricko's nose in that a fair bit as well on the golf course, but you know that that is some that is a bit of a team that you had. Like, was it because you were always looking at you know what was coming underneath you, or why why was that your mentality? Um, I listen. I, I think when 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 you win trophies and and you'll vouch for this, you you get greedy, don't you? And you get such a high from winning trophies that 
once you win one, the only thing that matters is the next one and you want to keep doing it. Um, you know, I, I've been so lucky in terms of, you know, I think I've missed something like 30 games for Ireland, but I haven't missed too many big ones where there's been medals or a championship or, or big Six Nations or some of those games against the All Blacks. I've been fit and available for all of those. So, And, and there's a huge element of luck in that as well. Um, you know, there's I could easily have missed of those 30 games that I've missed, some of those could have been in the 2018 Grand Slam or 2009 Grand Slam or, or some of those All Blacks games. Um, so again, I'm just very, very grateful that I was fit and available for some of the really big games that, that had allowed me to pick up some of those medals. Rob, obviously playing with, uh, with your own brother, Dave, in the back three, was, was there ever a stage in your career when you thought, fuck, my jersey could be under threat here for my own brother? Um, no. That was that. Uh, no, um, you know, I, I think winger. we were always very lucky that, that he was an out-and-out winger and, yeah. and I was an out-and-out fullback. Now, I, granted, I, I did ha- absolutely have the top-end pace to play in the wing. <laughs> I could run a, a 10 metres per second, no problem. Um, but, no, nah, we, we, it, was, it was always... We were always pretty lucky that the two of us were, were generally fighting for the same position. Now, there was times... You know, in Leinster towards the end when myself and Jordan were battling out for that 15 jersey and if I started, he might sometimes move to the wing and, and Dave would get nudged out or, or vice versa. Um, and that, that did make it a little bit more more difficult for some of the big games if I was in and he wasn't or if he was in and I wasn't. Um, you know, it, it might hurt a little bit more. But I think all in all, we were we were pretty lucky that the two of us never had to go head to head for for a jersey on, on too many occasions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think you know, talking about those younger guys coming through, I suppose you know, in fairness, Ireland had a brilliant finish to the Six Nations. But um, do you ever think that there is an appreciation for what you did for Ireland more after you retired rather than when you were still playing? Do you, do you ever think that? Because I think that there is probably, um, you know, there's opinion out there, you know, once you finished, I think there was, a, there was times when the Irish public maybe took you for granted as you know, what you did, you know, at fullback for Ireland for so long. I think when, you know, fans and supporters get used to seeing something mm. um, and then I suppose when, once you were gone and obviously Hugo, in fairness, he has done brilliant um in the period he's had, but there was a period there where, you know, Ireland were struggling in that position. Um, yeah, like, I, I don't necessarily think that, the, that that's probably, a, you know, a question for me to answer outright. I, I think you see it in sport an awful lot. Um, you know, where a, where a player or a competitor has been around for so long and, and they become a part of the furniture a little bit within an organisation or within a team. Um, and, you know, I, I think at, at times we, we can take people for granted. And as you say, it's it's only when they're gone that you think, oh, maybe, you know, actually what he did did add a little bit more value to the team. Um, but now, nah, listen, to, to be fair to Hugo, he's come in, he's done unbelievable work. He's he's had a superb Six Nations. Um, you know, he's still young and, and he's only going to keep growing in that position. 
Yeah, defo. I think they've got some really exciting younger guys coming through. Like you mentioned, Jordan and, um, you know, Hugo and, you know, even the likes of Shane Daly. I thought he had a brilliant game for Munster. You know, they're, they're mm -hmm. guys coming through in that position that would be good. But, you know, back to your own career, Rob. Um, and this is, you know, just for listeners and people that are watching, like what, what would... What what is the biggest sense of satisfaction you ever had after a match? You know, and what was it kind of connected to? Um, uh, there's a th there's probably two for me. I think the 2016 game against the All Blacks in Chicago was pretty big for me. Um, you know, I was coming under a lot of heat. My body was breaking down a fair bit in 2015. I wasn't able to string too many matches together. And I think that game in Chicago was the one time that I felt in my career that my position was was massively under threat. Um, and I knew it going out onto the game. So to be able to go out then and, and put in a good performance uh, on a really big game where the team won and we, we made history was, was pretty nice for me. 2018, I think, was probably the, the one moment... Um, of my whole career that I take so much pride from, you know, to have been able to be a part of a Grand Slam team in 2009 and then to go and do it again in 2018 and, and put in a, re a really, you know, pretty solid tournament in terms of my own my own performances and, and to know that you can do that on, on, on the big stage nine years later, given some of the moments and, and dips in form and injury that I've been through and in you know, the, the years previous to that, you know, I'm, I don't know how old I was, maybe maybe 32. Um, that was definitely the one year that I take most satisfaction from. Yeah, definitely. I think those, you know, games against the All Blacks, like, uh, you know, I remember that three-test tour that we were on, we were rooming together for the entire thing. And like, God, like we were traveling around to some of the, like, and the thing is, New Zealand is a beautiful country, but in the winter time down there is some of the spots can be pretty bleak and the All Blacks are only getting going really with their season. Yeah. So, and you're coming to the tail end of a Pro 14 or a European Cup and really the squad going over there was a bit exhausted mentally and physically, even though we ran them close in the second game. But the third game, Rob, if you remember, like there was actually one line because we lost in the third game 60-0 and we nearly beat them in the second game. Mm -hmm. So guys' heads were, were gone and like lads pretty much had the flip-flops on ready to go on their holidays, you know, and just get out of there. But I remember Dricko, um, I remember uh, Ritalak just, just he ghosted through a gap and just like dummied one of the backs and goes through a gap from like 40 metres in. And this was at like 40. Yeah, he dummied you. 45 now. You, you still missed him at the back, the goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember Dricko under the post and like, what does a captain say, you know, to a team that's losing 45 nil? And I remember him going, um, lads, I know, things, I know things have gone to shit, but that was particularly fucking bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that game. That was, that was, it just felt like we spent the whole game under our sticks. And I think the biggest mistake was we sort of poked the bear the week before. And, and that game, we should have won. Um, you know, to be fair to Nigel Owens, a really good ref, but he actually rode us at a scrum up the field that we should have got a penalty for. And they went up the other end and Dan Carter kicked a drop goal. Yeah. So we all thought, yeah, we're in this. You know, we just do the same next week and we'll bang in there again. We might run them close. 
they came out of the blocks and they smoked us 60 points to nil. I know, and that I suppose that this, this point is to lead on to what you just talked about there because the journey of that, and I wasn't involved in the game where, we, where Ireland already beat them uh, during um, Joe Schmidt's first November. So I remember I missed well, I, I, I missed out in that, that game. Uh, I'd broken my hand and you guys nearly beat them. Remember they had the kick in the corner. Uh, Aaron Cruden had, had another opportunity. Like that was just like for them to come back in the position they did. But then you roll on another number of years and we beat them twice and you're involved in those days. Like that was just a pretty cool journey to have been on there. Yeah, it was. I think that that game in Aviva was, you know, probably the the worst defeat of my career. You you go up nineteen nil against any team, and then to lose it. I don't think we scored in the second half. We lost to twenty one nineteen. You're thinking, Jesus Christ, are we ever ever going to beat this mob? Um, you know, so you look back on that 60 points to nil, I think we learned a huge amount from him. And even in, in, you know, the three, four, five years after that, that 60 nil game was, was referenced a lot in our team meetings with Joe. Um, you know, I think it took me 10 times before we actually beat them. And so, you know, to, to get one up on that team and then subsequently go and do it a second time was, I think it was a massive thing for Irish rugby. Yeah, definitely. I actually went to the game in 2018 and I hadn't been to many games when I was still playing and like to see the entire stadium stay in their seats afterwards and everyone sing the fields of Athen Rye, like I don't think, you, like I, I just, bar on TV, I hadn't seen scenes like that in Lansdowne Road for, for so many years. It was just such a special day, I'd say, to be involved in. Yeah, it was unbelievable, and it was really the the first, you know, one of the first big days that that we got to have out in the Viva. You know, we we won the Grand Slam two thousand eighteen in Twickenham, two thousand and nine in uh, Cardiff. The championships were both Paris and Edinburgh, so the Aviva never really got to experience one of those really big days. Um, you know, so it was unbelievable that we actually got to have one of those massive days where we either won a trophy or toppled off New Zealand for it to, to happen in the Aviva, you know, especially after the first time we beat them was in Chicago. So the Aviva never got to really experience any of those really, really big days. Yeah, it was brilliant. It's one of those, I think it was one of those iconic days for, for Irish rugby. But um, we'll have to touch on, on the Lions, Rob, as well, because obviously as a, as a tourist, the last time... The Lions were down in South Africa. You were there in 2009. And I remember vividly actually uh, visiting you in, in hospital. I'm pretty sure I went in with one of your buddies from school. I think it could have been Andrew Lynch. And we went into the, hospital. The grapefruit was out. <laughs> yeah, you had the mumps. So Rob had the, had the mumps. Yeah. And, you know, it, were, you, were you European Player of the Year that year? Or you, you, you'd had a great season and you were in a great position to go, but... Yeah. Uh, no, I, I wasn't your. I wasn't European player that year. No, uh, I, it was off the back of the 2009 Grand Slam. Leinster had won the Heineken Cup, um, so yeah, I was in, in a pretty good position to go. Obviously, I was. I was still pretty young, so you, you're never sure that you're going to get picked on it. 
Um, but then after that quarterfinal game, I got hit with the mumps, and I think I was I was in Blackrock Clinic for for two weeks. I was sick as a dog, and you you were one of the few to come in and visit me. Thanks for that. Yeah, no worries, man. But isn't that um, that tour though? You know, because I saw clips of the the '97 Lions there. Mm. It was like a classics on Sky Sports. It does seem like South Africa is is a particularly special place, and I know that like all the three three tours they, they go on in whatever cycle you, you manage to get. But South Africa does seem pretty special. Like how how much of a difference is it going to be not having those fans there? Because you, you experienced all that and, and the, you know, just the crazed fans that go over there and the support that it gets. That's a, it's a big part that, that a lot of guys aren't going to experience. Yeah, it is. And, and it's really unfortunate because, you know, the, 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 the Lions supporters are incredible. I don't know where they all come out from, but you know, you go to those stadiums, and and a lot of the time, there's there's more red in the stadium than there is the opposition color. Um, the South Africans are are pretty hostile as as a group of friends, fans. They they don't not that they they don't make you feel very welcome to the country, but they're hostile and they sort of they try and intimidate you a little bit. You know, I'll never forget the bus journeys to the ground and. They're throwing cans of beers at the bus and they're giving you the fingers and they're uh-huh. screaming, baka, baka, baka. So it is a little bit intimidating. Um, but I think if, if we've seen anything from sport over the last year that, you know, the, the away team, there's a little bit of, a, of an advantage with them. The, uh, the old home teams are, aren't getting as many wins as, as you might have expected in, in previous years. So... You know, if if anything, I think it'll it'll probably be be in the favour of the Lions team. Rob, where would a a, a a test match, a Lions Test series match, in relation to intensity compared to like a Champions Cup final or compared to a Grand Slam winning game, where does the intensity of a test match lie? Um, oh, like I've I've only played three test matches, so I, I wasn't involved in any of the tests in in two thousand and thirteen. Um. And those three particular test matches in 2009 were and still are probably lauded as as one of one of the most physical test series uh, that's ever been played. And, you know, so so to be honest, that that second test in particular, I can't even judge it against anything else. It was just completely on a different stratosphere to to any other game that you would have played in. Yeah, Defo, and that, that tour though. Um, it did look like the, the the nations like you you guys got on you you have some good friends from that that tour and I know you toured 2013 but you were you were quite young like what age were you 23 when you when you toured to South Africa was it around 23 24 yeah 23 and you know I think the, again one of the best things about the Lions tour is, is how quickly you you build up relationships with the other teams you know, you go through years of big Six Nations match when you're trying to kick the heads off each other and the only thing you want to do is win for your team. Um, and, you know, people talk about, you know, the ethos of the Lions and how special it is. For me, the most special thing is is how quickly you build bonds and relationships with players from from those other countries. Um, you know, 2009 was, was class because Ian McGeekin was head coach that was still 
there was still a little bit of an old school element to it. We we, we went out in the pitch during the week on Tuesday, Wednesday nights. If you weren't involved in in the t- in the game on Saturday, um, 2013, that element had had completely gone. Hmm. Um, and I'd say it's it's even got pro- progressively more professional as, as the time has gone on. So, you know, definitely for me, that 2009 Lions tour was was the most enjoyable tour that I've been on. And who were the kind of bigger characters on that on that squad, like from from other nations, you know, you mentioned there, you forge relationships very quickly because you've got that short time. You're coming into such an intense kind of test match period. Who were the, the bigger characters in that tour? You know, it's 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 often the ones that that surprise you most. You you play against guys like like the likes of Mike Phillips for Wales and he's an absolute arsehole on the field and he's always getting in your face and everyone's going after him and no one likes him and you see his name get selected on on the squad announcement you're like Jesus Christ how am I going to put up with this lad for nine weeks and then he ends up in one of the most soundless blokes life and soul of the party best friends with everyone um, and again that's that's one of the nice things that that people who who you have preconceived notions about end up in in some of the Sanders blogs. Yeah, definitely. I think there was a there was a group of you know Welsh guys on that tour that were you know they were a bit older than you, but they were there was a few superstars there that had done brilliantly at Test level for, for Wales for years. Like Lee Byrne was another, and obviously he started in that first Test. And you know, what was running through your head when he got injured? Um. Do you know what? Lee Byrne was having the season of his life in 2009. He was playing incredible rugby. So I guess I I very much went over on that tour, um, you know, pretty content. Not content, but I knew that there was a good chance I might be playing second fiddle to him. It was my first Lions tour. So I was just delighted, to be honest, to have gotten your Lions gear bag with your initials on it. You, You feel as if you've just reached the top of the rugby world. Um, you know, you go into the tour three or four weeks and then all of a sudden you're not satisfied with, with just being a Lions player. You want to be uh, a test player. And, you know, he went down in the 38 minute of, of, of that first half. And, you know, I remember sitting beside Raj on the bench. And some, sometimes the, the best time is to go on a field is when you're not told you're going on. Hmm. You know, someone just comes up to you and says, you're on now. It's it's not going warm up for five minutes and then that five minutes you had massive amount of head noise and every thought going through your head. So I was lucky that I just got thrown straight in when I wasn't completely expecting it. Um, and it was nice to actually get two minutes in the first half, settle in, come in for half time, and then you go out in the second half after already, you know, had a taste of it and, and caught your set your second wind a bit. Definitely, and then that second that second test, like what were your memories from that? You you scored one of the, I think it was 10 tries in your whole career in that match? Nine, I think. <laughs> but, you know, you did score a very important try in that game. But as you said, it's so, it was so physical. There was, there was bodies dropping everywhere. What was, it, what was it like? Because obviously you said there was a lot of red jerseys in the crowd, but I remember how hostile that South African crowd were as well. It must have been a pretty intimidating one. Yeah, it was really intimidating. Um, that game itself was was just barbaric. There was lads falling left, right, and centre. Um, there's 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 a few times in your career when you're just happy to be a fullback and at the very back of the field and let 
all the other 14 players in front of you do the tackling and, and that was <laughs> definitely one of those games I was like thank Christ I'm not playing up there <laughs> definitely yeah and then 2013 tour was was probably tougher for you like mentally because you know you you were on the tour but things didn't fall your way probably as much as you talked we talked about Lee Byrne you know get an injury you getting your chance you taking your chance 2013 it was kind of it was probably a flip on that because you were battling with that hamstring injury at the time. Yeah, it was. I think, you know, the the, the worst thing about 2013 was that in 2009, I, I already had that taste of being a test lion and, and playing in those test series. And, you know, the whole Lions tour, everything is built towards those three test matches at the end. And, you know, I, I pulled out of... I think we had a league final the the day before we left for Australia with a hamstring strain. So I didn't get to play for three weeks and I was always playing catch up. Um, at the same time, Lee Halfpenny was playing unbelievably well. He was he was the out and out goal kicker at the time. And, you know, he was up in the high 90s percent. So, you know, I knew pretty early on that I wasn't going to get too much of a look into the test team on, unless he got injured. Yeah, and I think you, you kind of need to, you know, get those breaks. I think getting, getting over in a toilet that there obviously is going to be nailed on starters, but you, we'll probably all see some guys that we never thought were going to be in the starting side for, for different reasons. And if there's anyone, you know, who do you think, one, who do you think will be, you know, starting at, at fullback, Rob? And what would you be able to give us what your, quickly, what, what your Lions 15 might be at this stage or what you think it could be for the first test? Oh Jesus, lads! I, I wouldn't have a clue. I, I, I genuinely don't know. <laughs> back line, it safe here. Is after the back line. Yeah, just give us the back line. <laughs> give us the back line. Um, I think I think Murr will start at nine. Um, Johnny or Owen Farrell at ten. I think Robbie's playing unbelievably well at the moment, so he's in there with a, with a really good shout. Uh, I think 13 is very much up for grabs at the moment. Um, in the back three, Anthony Watson is playing really, really well. Um, Johnny Mays playing really well. You've got Liam Williams there. Elliot Daly is a class player. He probably hasn't had the season um, as good as he has in previous years. That English team might be hampered a little bit in terms of, of their selection on the Lions tour, given how poor that they have been in the last year. Um, but at the same time, you have a lot of guys there who produce one of the greatest games of rugby in that semi-final against New Zealand. So they will have a lot of credit in the bank. Mm. Um, so it's it's always a tough one. I, I think you know everyone genuinely goes over on a Lions tour with a clean slate. And depending on how you perform in those first three or four games, the test team, how you think might be now, is, is always really difficult to, to what you think it might be. Or, or what it will be um, when the time comes. Yeah, because I remember uh, it was 2009 when Earlsley went on tour. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, he hadn't played a huge amount with Ireland. He, he got kind of picked off the back of his performances for Munster, who were doing well in Europe at the time. And hmm. you know, it just shows that someone, we, we always talk about bolters, especially in the Lions, Lions year, that there could be a couple of fellas that aren't being mentioned in the media and on, on people's team sheets that, that could still make it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and you you even look at look at Erzy and, and the season that he's had. You know, he's had a really good Six Nations, so he's going to be you know banging there in terms of squad selection too. 
yeah, it makes for exciting viewing and a few headaches for sure for that um, that test coaching ticket. But um, back to you, Rob. There quickly before before we let you go, just what is what is the the, the, bear, bear, the last? Bearing in mind it's half eleven here at night time. Yeah, we're only going to keep you for another half an hour, man. No, no biggie. <laughs> is the roommate asleep or is he awake? But uh, what's the? But what is my the? Poor room, my what, poor roommate's panned out. What's the? What's the lead-in looking like for you guys now? Um, and how? And how is your your body feeling? I know you pulled out of the game with a, a late injury there on on Friday. Yeah, but body was really good at the start. I think I played four games on the bounce and was going really well, and then picked up a, an adductor strain against uh, the Queens and Reds. And one of the problems with with the Super Rugby is is that. You know, you've eight games in the space of 10 weeks. So you're always under pressure to try and get back as quickly as you can. Um, you know, and, and sometimes that has its own issues when you're pushing the boundaries and trying to get muscle soft tissues back as, as quickly as you can. So um, I'm, I'm still undecided whether whether I'll be available for selection this week. We're, we're in the semi-final of the competition against the Brumbies. The winners play the Queensland Reds the following week. And then we have the nice task of playing all the New Zealand teams in um, <laughs> five weeks on the bounce, which I can't wait for. You could be picking up a few soft tissues for those games, could you? Oh man, that Crusaders game, I might, I might <laughs> be feeling a bit unwell the night before. <laughs> well, listen, Rob, thanks a million for, for dialing in and um, best of luck over the next few weeks. Take care of yourself. Thanks, lads. Good to chat. Cheers, Rob. So, man. If you haven't already done so, click subscribe on House of Rugby Ireland to never miss a show. Hey, Sam. How's it going? Hi, Pat. Yeah, good. You? Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, good. Just just a couple from me. Um, one is just a, an Irish one about, I'd heard you speak about Ty Byrne saying that for you, he might be more suited in, in the back row, but... Um, do you reckon there's any other kind of Irish back rows in, in the mix? Like uh, lads like Jack Conan showed his hand up against England there recently. I, I think Josh van der Fleer has been phenomenal lately. <laughs> He's been brilliant. And I'm not much of a stats guy, but he made the most metres out of any flanker in the Six Nations. I think he made the most tackles behind Justin Tipperick. Uh, I think he's such a good... Technically, he's a brilliant seven. Like He does exactly what a seven needs to do. So that's why I think you've got uh, this is where it's so tricky. You got Watson, Curry, Van der Fleer, Tipperick, and Navidi have got to fit into three. Uh, I don't know how you're going to do that, but I think the most impressive, uh, yeah, Burn and, and Van der Fleer have impressed me most. I, I think Burn, I say Burn at six because I know Gatlin. I, I think he'd be more inclined to pick somebody a bit heavier, just to because I know he, he really values that weight in the second row. When we used to play in second rows, who a little bit on the light side, he would he would flag it and say that was that's somewhere we could target. So I, I'm not sure. I think he'll be picked as a second row back row. You can cover both, but as, as talking as test starters now, he'd definitely have game time. I think if he goes a second row, but he's probably not one of his front line test starters for second row. Um, so that's why I think the back row might come more into play. So I think. Players like himself, Maratoji, Courtney Laws, if he goes, they could all find themselves at six. But I think that's why it makes them almost pretty safe picks to go because they can. you need players who can jump into that back row as well. And those guys do that. So Ty Burn for me, is nailed on to go on tour. Um, and he's got a great shout of being a test starter. And I think six could suit him as well. And Warren was talking about, when he was up last week, about that he's going to add more to his coaching staff. 
Um, I was wondering if another um, kind of Lions and Vodafone ambassador, Paul O'Connell, might be a, a good call for that. You've toured with him before, haven't you? Yeah, I, I thought that, putting two and two together, because it makes you wonder whether he'll complete his duties with Ireland and then he'll come on as a, as a, as a line-out coach and forward coach for the second half of the tour. And to have Paulie around the group would be amazing, even if he didn't coach, just to have him around the group and just have his presence there. And people think he's like a brand new coach. Like he's done a lot. He's done Munster Academy. He's been with Stade France. I think Stade France was now in France. So he's got, you know, he's been involved in three different environments already. This would be his fourth environment. So he's probably not as new and as novice as people think. And say, you know, Paulie, for the second half of his career at least, he would have been pretty much the line-out coach as a player. So all your top line-out callers, whether it's, so the last tour, George Cruz. He was George Cruz was almost our lineup coach alongside Steve Borthwick. You know, they consult with each other, they go through the moves, and then he then portrays it to the players. So Paul O'Connell has been in that coaching role, even though it's only formally for say maybe a few years. He's probably been doing that coaching role for like ten years. So he's a very experienced lineup operator. So I think he'd be a great addition on tour. Cheers. Um, Sam, just, just one last one for me. Does a uh, feasibility study into like a women's Lions tour going on at the moment? Uh, is that something you'd, you'd really back, like uh, for the women's game to kind of, you know, a Lions tour would do so much for it, wouldn't it? Oh, it'd be amazing. I'd, I'd absolutely love it, you know. Um, obviously, right now, we're probably dominated with, with England players, but then I think the incentive to play rugby would grow massively and, and the funding would grow massively in the other nations as well. I, I think... Uh, yeah, a ladies' lions tour would be awesome. I would absolutely love to see that. So, absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. Cheers, Pat. Just listen to that that clip of of Sam Warburton and going through some of his lions picks and guys who've been in form. He seems to really rate Josh van der Fleer. Yeah, and Josh has been unbelievable. And he, he's had great performances for Leinster and Ireland, and subsequently been named as a, a nominee for European Player of the Year as well. You know, so if you look at the other Irish nominees in it with. Uh, Furlong, Henshaw and these lads and Hugo Keenan and mm. a lot of the lads on it would be shoe wins for a Lions tour so there's no reason why, uh, why Josh wouldn't either so he's definitely putting his end up for it Yeah he's been brilliant and I think you know such a reliable player but I think since that Leinster back row has become one of the most competitive back rows in Europe if anything he's kind of thrived and with that competition and he's kicked on and probably had to kick on and he, you know, he's got to be in the conversation for for maybe being in that back row for for the first test against South Africa. Hundred percent, I think, and that's what makes Leinster so good. If competition, right down through the, you know, they could, they get four or five different sevens to pick from that are all inter, at international level, you know. And I suppose the same is said with with Zeeves coming back to Munster now. He's going to add another layer of competition in that back three, and as a result, not only does it benefit Munster and Ireland, but the, the the back three players within Munster now are all going to have to up their game if they want to stay on the pitch because Zeev is coming back and he's bringing new ideas and he's bringing a new bit of flair to the game and um yeah it's it's, it's that it'll only lead to good competition you said Josh like he's he's a lot of lads chomping at the bit Will Connors behind him and you know that just brings the best out of you really yeah Scott Penny as well yes yeah. yeah but then yesterday you know or sorry leading into the semi final the semi final for both Ulster and Leinster this weekend. You know, you've got the likes of Gary Ringrose, James Ryan, Josh Runner-Fleer, Jack Conan, then Ulster players like Ian Henderson, Rob Herring, Jacob Stockdale. These guys, you know, you're getting to a stage of the season now where big performances in these bigger games could nail them on to, to go to the tour 
or maybe not to. So it's, it's a great little shop window for these guys because some, some other guys in other teams where they're knocked out of the competitions, they're not going to get these opportunities and these guys will. And I think um, you know, a few of the names that I mentioned there have, have some great chances to travel. Absolutely, yes. Um, as, as you said, I think that the Lions squad's been named on the 6th of May and this is another opportunity for those boys like the likes of Stockdale and the likes of Herring um, who might be on the edge of selection and this is, as you said, the shop window for them to get selected and you know, I was, I was at the Munster Leinster game myself, um, just gone and uh, Andy Farrell was sitting in front of me and with Lions tour and with Ireland looking to tour Fiji, it's, um, you know, it's, it's going to open up, uh, yeah. especially for a lot of younger players looking to get into an Irish scene, there's going to be a big crap of Irish lads missing from this summer tour and uh, it's just going to open up the window for more lads to, to get into an Irish tour so mm. on both aspects there's, there's a lot of still at stake yeah yeah definitely and you know with um, that Leinster game you know going away to La Rochelle the fact that they're you know and, and y- your old mate Raj you know he signed on there for for another three years he's obviously very happy there and they're obviously very happy with him but I'd say he'll be licking his lips going into this game with how well he knows, you know, say Johnny Sexton and, yeah. and how well he knows all these Leinster players. And I'm sure he'll be using all the knowledge there in the way that they're, you know, cutting up the clips and seeing how they can go after the boys. He will, of course, yeah. And it's, we, when, when Rob Penny took over Munster, we toured, we did a 10 days out in La Rochelle and we played him in a pre-season friendly. And it was my first time kind of experiencing rugby in, in France, like I'm playing a French side. And uh, it's, the town is unbelievable that... It was a pre-season friendly now and there was 10,000 people at the game and the mm. Mexican wave and I couldn't believe it. It just opened my eyes to be like, oh my God, the, the calibre of, of fans and the setup they have here is incredible. And, you know, Raj is going in there now and he's bringing his European experience. You know, Larry Sheldon never really featured in, in, have featured in Europe and now Raj goes in who has huge European experience. John O'Gibbs is there and, you know, they find themselves in the semi-final and, as you said, he knows a lot of the Leinster players. He would have played with Leo Cullen, and he, you know, he he knows how they take. And he's definitely, as we speak now, he's formulating plans now to beat them. What What do you think would be the winning or losing of that match for for either team? I know Larishel's home record is pretty good. They've, I think, they went nearly three or four seasons unbeaten at home before COVID, um, so it's going to be a tough ask for for Leinster. They're going to get huge confidence from get from getting one over and Exeter away. But I don't know. Look, they they rely on a couple of big players. Um, you know, Aldred at number eight, Victor Vito, and then that absolute freak in the centre, Batia. He's yeah. like one of the most impressive players I've seen. And uh, you know, he 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 generates go forward ball for them, and that's what they play off. And they've they've an unbelievable talented back three with Bryce Delan, Raymond Rule, and Dylan Lays and. I suppose they they want to keep flow and movement in the game. Um, I think if Leinster can negate Batia, which Robbie Henshaw is going to have to strap both shoulders for that one, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, that'll be a start, but they've so much in the bank, it's going to be very hard to, to, to stop this. Uh, They're just going to have to contain that free-flowing style. You know, you saw in the, you know, the last 16 in quarter-final, the way, you know, when Larishel do get going and start playing that game, you know, yeah. it's a... It's a massively an uphill battle. I think there'll be a big focus from Leinster's perspective this week and probably la- back in the last week they're probably talking about it as well, just about stopping that and making sure there's two men in the, in, you know, um, connecting together in the tackle area so that they're not getting the ball away because once they get in behind you, yeah. because I think if they can, if, they, if Leinster can shut that down, that they do have like 
La Rochelle do have a number of forwards there. They're very, very large men. If you keep them moving for, you know, 50 minutes, they do get, get quite lazy in defence. Mm. And I think the way Stuart trains the guys, the way Leinster have been playing in, in the, you know, their better performances this year, I think they can try and pick off those lazy defenders towards the back end of the game. Yeah, 100%. It's, as you said, they're, they're, La Rochelle are happiest when it's unstructured and it's flowing and it's moving and the ball and the balls kept moving. And uh, if Leinster can contain them a little bit and bring them to a six, 60 minutes and 70 minutes and still be in with a sh- shot, then, as you said, these French teams sometimes can get lazy and cold start to appear. And that's where Leinster can, you know, I think out of across Europe, the Irish provinces will be the more fitter sides and they put a bigger emphasis on their strength and conditioning and their fitness and been at the last 80 minutes, 90 minutes if, if needed. So, you know, Leinster can definitely go there if it's required. Then Ulster away to the, the Leicester Tigers, you know, in search of their first bit of silverware in, in, in quite a while. And, and um, I'm sure they've got high hopes, but it's not going to be an easy game for them over there. You know, Leicester also in search of their first silverware, you know, yeah. bit of silverware in, in, in a long time. Proud, you know, proud club. Um, you know, their home record's very mixed, but they're tough to beat there. They'll all be on the line for both teams. Yeah, they'll be the closest to Munster out of all the English sides. I'd kind of compare them to a huge, massive tradition and they're lacking a bit of silverware for a number of years, which is similar to, to us in Munster. So it's, look, there's a lot of stake on the line and it's, uh, it's, it's massive for Ulster as well. You know, it's, as you said, there's a shop window for a lot of lads looking to, to cement themselves in the Lions team and maybe in an Irish tour and... Um, yeah, and I'm not sure. How, I couldn't call it to be honest. It's going to be very tight. Yeah, it is tough to call. I, I I'm hoping for two Irish wins, though. I, I you know, I don't think that they're both two tough away games. But I think if if Ulster and Leinster play well into the the standard they have in the better games they both played this year, I think they'll be too much for both sides. But just the, the women's Six Nations then, and they they finished on a real high, finishing third, um, and and, and beating. You know, Italy twenty-five-five. What did you make the match? Yeah, look, I thought obviously you'll take a win. I thought they'd beat them by more. Um, I thought it'd be a massive backlash coming off this French game. I thought they'd really put high numbers on them, especially given the conditions. And Danny Brook looked amazing. Mm. Um, obviously, a lot of handling errors kind of negated that. And it's good to see a couple of a couple of good performances. I think um, Amy Lee Murphy Crow on the wing. She's She's, uh, I think she's going to steal the show over the next couple of years. I know there's a lot of talk about Bevan Parsons, but I think you know, she's she's an outstanding player. She's she's still only 26 years old and massive 98 uh, tries on the on the seven circuit, like which is just outrageous. Right. She's one of the best sevens players in the world. Like you know? something from a computer game, you know. Hmm? It's like something from a it's like, yeah, she's like from a computer. It's like jumping <laughs> over rugby. She's just going down the wing, handing people off. But uh, yeah. No, I think I really think she's going to have a big impact over the next couple of seasons. Yeah. Then you've got Stacey Flood, who you know looks like a a really good bet to be um, the next Irish out half. You know, she 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 seems like a really promising um, talent too. Yeah, I suppose another product of the sevens. You know, great athlete. Um, looks very composed. Looks very comfortable in the ten position. I suppose like tidy up a couple of like position specific skills there because it will be new to her. Um, especially at test level, and you know, you know, you have the makings of a really strong squad going forward. Yeah, and poor Emer caught a caught a knee to the nose. You think she 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 might have broken her nose? So hopefully she's recovering well. But um, we'll we'll finish there. Cheers, guys, and cheers to everybody for watching and listening. A big thanks to producer Pat Paul, Anthony Dermot, and everyone that helped getting the show together. This is House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe.
House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. Game changed.